Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. The Bible says, And Jesus went out and His disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, He asked His disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? So Jesus is traveling in this region with His disciples, and the indication is He just asked them. They're walking along. I mean, Jesus didn't just spend a few hours a week with these people. He lived with them every day. They're together. And so He asked them, almost like matter-of-factly it seems, "Whom, Whom do men say that I am? What are people saying about me? Verse 28, And they answered, John the Baptist. Some people say you're John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. Verse 29, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Made it very personal. And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, you might underline those words. I'm underlining my Bible. What a confession. Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. We'll stop reading there. There are a lot of things about this passage that I want to just mention as we go through it this morning. But I want to begin by just saying, you know, it's possible. Just sitting here today, you can relate to this. It's possible that a person can go to church. They can hear sermons. And they can sing songs. And they can meet people without ever entering into a serious conversation about Bible doctrine. Now Jesus asked these disciples to articulate who they thought He was. Whom say ye that I am? And one of the things that stands out to me from this passage is the importance of biblical conversations. You know, we can talk about who won the big games yesterday. We can talk about how the blues are doing. But what about talking to someone about Bible doctrine? Jeez, you know, you, if I were to walk up to you and say to you personally, individually, what do you think about this Bible doctrine? For some people, it'd make them, it would be very awkward, make them feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? But we ought to be, Jesus is engaging these people in talking about the Bible. And you know, one of the things, this would be a good New Year's Commitment to say, you know, this year I want, to, I, want to, I want to do more of this. Reading the Bible, talking to people about what the Bible says. And so, Jesus is going to give us a great example here of this taking place. And there, Peter's answer, he hit a home run with this one. Very simple, very direct, very profound, very true. Thou art the Christ. Let's think about that together. Father, bless as we study today. Help us to grow in grace, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible says in verse 27 that Jesus was visiting in the villages or the towns of Caesarea Philippi. This place, Caesarea Philippi, is only mentioned in Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. We have a map, I believe, of that. Um, Just kind of give you your weekly geography lesson. And if you look there, you see in the middle to the right of the map, the Sea of Galilee. 
in the region of Galilee. Jesus spent most of his time in the region of Galilee. You'll see some of the famous places there like Capernaum, Tiberias, Nazareth, over the lower part of the region of Galilee. And you'll notice at the top of the Sea of Galilee, just a little bit to the right, is Bethsaida. I mentioned that because if you're looking at your map, in verse 22 it says, He cometh to Bethsaida. That's the last lesson we had from Mark 8. Jesus was in Bethsaida, and it was there that He touched this man, and the man saw partially, but He touched him a second time, and He saw more clearly That was in Bethsaida. And then it says in verse 27 that he went up to the area of Caesarea Philippi. Do you see that? Caesarea Philippi. And it's um, about 25 miles north of Bethsaida or the Sea of Galilee. Now, just for um, help with you, if you ever notice on the left-hand part along the Sea of Mediterranean Sea toward the bottom, you see another Caesarea. See that Caesarea? That's the Caesarea where Paul spent time in prison. That was a place that uh, he was moved from uh, Jerusalem. So when you see Caesarea, that was that Caesarea. But the part up the top north is uh, Caesarea Philippi. It was actually, here's where its name came from in case you're interested. It was named after Herod Philip, Caesarea Philippi, named after Herod Philip because there was a great re-enlargement of that area. And then it was named also after Caesars. Therefore, you have its new name, Caesarea Philippi. It represents, this represents the northernmost place that Jesus went in his ministry. And so, just kind of let you know where Jesus is. It's a remote area. Thanks, guys. It's a remote area. It's away from the the heavy traffic area. It's not around the Sea of Galilee. There's no multitudes up there. And several things are going to happen there, but we're only going to talk about one of them today. And that is the question that Jesus posed to his disciples. Back in your Bible, verse 27, he asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? Now, again... A very simple thought, but Jesus asked his disciples questions. Um, he asked them questions. He wanted them to dialogue. He wanted them to talk. Not just talk about the weather or talk about their problems. He wanted them to talk about theological matters, about Bible doctrine. And so he asked these questions. He wanted them to think. Is it okay to say that? He wanted them to think. He wanted them to be engaged. He wanted them to process Bible lessons that they were learning. And imagine, again, you're sitting in this setting, and I could say, I mean, what do you think about this? And everybody can sit there, and they may think about it, they may not think about it. But if you're in a small group with a dozen people, and Jesus looks you right in the eye and say, what do you think about this? particular doctrine. Then it puts us on the spot, right? It makes us think it makes us uncomfortable maybe. But I'm just encouraging you today to think we're as a disciple, we want to know what the Bible says and we want to learn what the Bible says. And I just I just want to challenge you as we go through this passage to think about our own personal Bible study life and our time in the Bible. So Jesus asked them a question, and their response in verse 28 was John the Baptist doesn't say who, it says they answered. They all gave feedback. 
By the way, it's easier to talk about what other people think and say than it is to th- talk about where we are spiritually. But they, they begin to say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elias, some say one of the prophets. And so you can hear a lot of opinions. You can hear, in this community, you can hear a lot of opinions about who we are. Uh, we've had people come to our church that said, well, we heard you were a cult. And then they came to our church and they said, now we know for sure you are. No. <laughs> but we've, we've had people say all kinds of things about things that we believe, outlandish things that we believe. So the disciples had heard a lot of different opinions about Jesus. And the only one of the names that mentioned, were mentioned that they could have even known was John the Baptist because he was a contemporary. He lived at the same time that Jesus did. Of course, he was killed. So they didn't know these prophets of old, but somehow they felt like, look at the language there, verse 28, some say Elias and others one of the prophets. They somehow felt like, even though they didn't know Elijah, they somehow felt like Jesus must have been like them. They had compared Jesus to these Old Testament men of God. Some say Elias or Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Now, I want to think about that for a few moments today because there's some things we could, I think, uh, arrive at, conclusions from that. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you remind people of John the Baptist. You're John the Baptist who's come back from the dead. Now, what do we know about John the Baptist? Uh, He was rugged, right? John the Baptist was a pretty rugged person. He was bold. I mean, he, he, he was... He actually lost his life eventually because he called out Herod for his uh, immoral relationship. He was very straightforward. John the Baptist wasn't trendy. I mean, I don't think it was trendy to wear, you know, eat, eat honey and locusts and, and wear this hairy garment. I mean, that, he wasn't really trendy. He wasn't cool, I'm sure. But, but he's, he was a preacher of repentance, John the Baptist was a strong preacher of repentance. They said, some people said, you remind us of John. And then they also said, some people say Elias. Elias is another way of saying Elijah. Like Elijah was also a bold preacher. He was also a man of great faith. It was, it was uh, Ahab was the king, and Elijah spoke out against his corruption. And Ahab said this to Elijah, art thou he that troubleth Israel? You're, you know, he, he was looked at as a troublemaker. Some people say, well, maybe he's, maybe this is Elijah. Doesn't tell us here in Mark's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel, some people said he may, it may be Jeremiah, maybe the Old Testament prophet of Jeremiah. He's come back from the dead. Jeremiah was also a bold preacher, a prophet, a but he was a preacher of great compassion. He was a p- compassionate person. Matter of fact, this is what he said, Jeremiah, one time. His word, talking about God's word, was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. So all these people were saying these things about Jesus. This is who this, is who this might be. It says in verse 28, And others, without giving him a name, it says, And one of the prophets... It's interesting, in Luke's gospel, where Luke wrote about this right here, Luke includes these words, 
one of the, they say this, one of the old prophets is risen again. Didn't give a name to him, but it's just he reminded it. When you, when you were, these people were around Jesus, they weren't critical of Jesus. They just said he reminds us of these old prophets. I'm, I'm thinking about something today. I don't want you to think with me for a moment. These, these old prophets, they were, they were men of great faith. They spoke with authority. They were out of step with their contemporaries. They, they spoke differently than the false prophets did. The old prophets took a stand against sin. The old prophets took a stand against false doctrine. Um, I want to tell you today that there's a need for people today that are more like the old prophets. Who take a stand against sin. Who, who speak up against corruption. Now, in this conversation, there are a couple of things that are implied in these people's response. These, Jesus is just gathering. The disciples weren't saying that's who he was. He said that's what the people are saying. The people are saying this. There's a couple of things we can, we can get from their wrong opinions. Number one, they had no idea who Jesus really was. They were clueless. And by the way, the same is true today. There's so many different opinions about who Jesus is that are not based on the Word of God. But there's a second thing you can get out of it. And that is this. That whoever he was, they felt like he reminded them of these old servants from the past. Can you get that from that text? We don't know who he is, but this is who he must be like. They thought he must be one of the old prophets. Now, I'm I'm taking this time just to get us to think about something today that I think is certainly relevant. In our present world, because it appears to me, this appears to me, I could be wrong in this, but I'm pretty certain I'm not, that with every passing year, it's just like there's a growing trend among preachers and among churches and among believers that want to sort of distance themselves from the old ways. We, we, we don't like that old path anymore. We want something new, more fashionable, more trendy. And, um, and that's not just about doctrine. It's just about the general tenor of ministry. If you were to ask a preacher, or let's just say a preacher were to come up to you or come up to one of his uh, friends or his preacher and say, who do, men, who do men say that I am? Who do, who do you think they remind, uh, that I remind them of? Would they say, you know, I, you're kind of like one of those old prime preachers. You're kind of like one of those old-fashioned preachers. Or would they say, you know, you kind of remind me more of that modern, trendy, sort of a progressive teacher. And I'm, not, I'm just telling you today, just because something is old doesn't mean it's right or best. Just because something new doesn't mean it's wrong. But young Christian, please hear what I'm saying. Nowhere in the Bible do you see that it would be commendable, that it would be advisable, that it would be wise to want to retool and remake everything about the way church is, the way God's worship is, and yet that's the world that we live in today. Now, I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but I want to make a point. Again, everything that's new is not bad. Everything that's old is not best. But just looking for a newer, more modern brand of truth is not wise. 
Jesus was never accused of that. And I want to say, I'm, I'm going to get back to our text in just a moment. But I've seen a lot of things in my lifetime among preachers. And especially among recent generations of Baptists. That I understand why people are turned off by it. I would be turned off by it. Things like nationally recognized preachers who spend most of their time promoting themselves. That's sick. And yet, that's, that's what we've seen in recent generations, in America especially. Or preachers who will read a verse of the Bible and then spend 45 minutes doing nothing but just telling stories and riding their hobby horses. That's not Bible preaching. And many of us have seen that, we've heard that, we've been turned off by that. Or being rude and arrogant in preaching, belittling and demeaning in preaching, that's not what preaching is. And so some people have seen that and they say, we don't want that anymore. And I don't want that either. But nor do I think we ought to try to do away with our history and our heritage and just say we're going to become something that people have never really been. The ministry of Jesus was reminiscent of the old preachers. Not old in age, but just old-timey preachers, preachers of prophets, men of God who stood for God. And so Jesus asked them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And I'm telling you, um, my heart is for preachers. I love preachers. I have a lot of preacher friends. We, you know, I've talked to numerous preachers just in, in this holiday season, people that we're familiar with in different situations. But I'm telling you, it's, it, I, it grieves me when I see preachers wanting to just forsake the heritage of the past and say, I want everything to be new and fashionable and trendy. That's not found in the Bible. Amen. So, Jesus says in verse 29, Whom do men say that I am? And Jesus, Jesus then makes it personal when he says in verse, uh, or verse 29, Yeah, whom say ye that I am? Excuse me. He makes it very personal. He turns their thoughts to him. Personally. Who do, who do you say that I am? And our relationship with God ought to be Personal. Now here's one of those occasions in verse 29 where Peter speaks up and said the right thing. Verse 29, he says, Thou art the Christ. I want to spend a few minutes on Peter's response. Thou art the Christ. What is meant by that confession? Thou art the Christ. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? I want to talk a little bit about the name of Christ in a moment. But this is very important for all of us. Because you can be wrong about a lot of things and go to heaven. But you can't be wrong about this and go to heaven. There, there are no exceptions to this. If you're wrong about who Jesus is, then you're not going to make it to heaven. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. If you don't get this right, you're going to die a lost person. In 1 John 4... John the Beloved said, And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. No matter what they say, if they're wrong about who Jesus is, it's not of God. What does the name 
Christ means. Look in verse 29. Thou art the Christ. By the way, I'm going to explain to you from the Bible. Many of you would already know this. Some of you may not. What that means. But if someone were to ask you, what is, who, who do you think Jesus is? What would you say in response to this? Most of us would say, well, Jesus is Jesus. But, but Peter didn't say that. He says, thou art the Christ. Now, Jesus, as you probably know, has been given a lot of names in the Scripture. Where do you get the name Jesus? An angel gave him that name. The angel gave the name to Joseph and Mary in the Gospels before he was born. He's also called Emmanuel. He's called Emmanuel in the Old Testament. He's called Emmanuel in the New Testament. Uh, Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. All these are names given to Jesus. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the Almighty. He's the Chief Shepherd. He's the Alpha, the Omega. These are all names given to Jesus. He's the Bread of Life. He's the Chief Cornerstone. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Light of the World. In John 11, He says, I am the Resurrection and the Life. He's the Amen. He's the root of David. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the true vine. He is the Word of God. He's the Redeemer, the Savior, the I Am. But that's not what Peter said. Peter said, Thou art the Christ. The name Christ is found 570 times in the New Testament. That's a lot. Why would, why would the name Christ be found almost 600 times in the New Testament. The the combination, Jesus Christ, is found almost 260 times in the New Testament. So who is the Christ? Very simply put, the word Christ is uh, the Greek translation from the word in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that says is translated as Messiah. Christos is the name in the Greek, Christ. And it's like the translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the coming deliverer. I said this last Sunday, I believe, talking about who Jesus is, thinking about the Christmas season and the message of of Christ, but it really helps to understand when Jesus came who He was and who He is. You know, He didn't just make His appearance in in that barnyard, in that stable, in that place where animals were fed. He... He's never had a beginning. He's been forever. But he is, Christ is the official name given to the Lord Jesus Christ in His coming and in the preaching of the gospel in the New Testament. For instance, in, in the book of Acts, Paul was in a synagogue at Thessalonica and he said this, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you, is Christ. This Jesus that I preach to you is the Christ. The Christ that was, the Christ that was promised in the Old Testament. The Christ who would come to be a deliverer. The Christ who would, according to Daniel's prophecy, that this Christ, the Messiah, would be taken away. He would be killed. It was not a surprise to Old Testament people Shouldn't have been that that the Christ would be killed because Daniel said it would happen. But that's who this person is. Jesus Christ. 
In Acts 18, uh, Luke was writing, of course, about Paul preaching in Corinth, and he said, testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Um, in John chapter 1, we have Jesus calling Philip unto himself in the beginning of the gospel. The first thing Philip did was he found Nathanael, and he said this to Nathanael, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth. Now I know a lot of people, to the, a lot of people this doesn't really matter, but it matters in the Bible, and it especially mattered in the New Testament to the Jewish people who are hearing this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one promised to come and take our sins and bring deliverance to us. To believe that Jesus is the Christ is to believe that Jesus is the anointed one. That's what Christ means, anointed. It means that he is the Messiah proclaimed throughout the Old Testament. I love reading the New Testament, but I also love reading the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Old Testament come about the coming Messiah, the one who would come. Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin. Isn't that an amazing thing to write? 700 years before Jesus was born. This is the one we're looking for. This is the one that we're accepting. And that's, and that's, who, you, that's who you receive. Listen, when we receive Jesus, you didn't, I didn't know this when I got saved. I just knew that Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that Jesus paid my sin debt, that Jesus raised from the dead, that I was lost in going to hell, that I could not save myself, but Jesus offered me forgiveness. I didn't know he was the Christ. I just knew he was the Savior, and I trusted him. But I want to know more about him, according to the Bible, right? And so he, so when Peter, when Peter, when Jesus said, "Who do people say that I am?" and he said, "Well, they're saying everything about you. They're saying you're John the Baptist. They're saying that you're Elijah. They're saying that you're Jeremiah. They're saying one of the old prophets. But who do you say that I am?" And Peter said, "Thou art the Christ. We know who you are." In Matthew's uh, gospel. When Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew records it a little bit differently. And he asked Peter, whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. And he has this, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, this is not recorded here in Mark's gospel, but it is in Matthew's gospel. And then Jesus said this to Peter. These are important words. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He says, the reason you know that, the reason you know that, Peter, is because God made it known to you. You know, I'm glad for the day that God opened our eyes and showed us who Jesus really was, aren't you? He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a famous teacher. He's not just a compassionate miracle worker. He is the Christ The promised Savior. Many people are wrong about who Jesus is. I mean, I hear it a lot. Who they think Jesus is. But I'll tell you, there's no confusion in the Bible about who He is. And if you know who He is, you're a blessed person. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. I'm a blessed person today because I know who Jesus is. According to the Bible. Not according to what somebody else says about Him. I tell you, there's so many blasphemous things. I'm not going to get off on it. So many blasphemous things said about Jesus. It just 
sickening, isn't it? But we know who He is. The word reveal means to open something up, to make it manifest. He's the Christ of God, as we said last Sunday. He is the seed of woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. He is Abraham's seed. He is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's Emmanuel, God with us. That's who Jesus is. He's not just our buddy. He's not just the man upstairs. He's the Almighty God who became flesh for us. Thank God for that. Jesus wrote this. I mean, John wrote this near the end of his gospel. John was writing about the purpose of signs. These miracles that Jesus had done. He said, I, we, only recover, we only recorded a minor number of them. But then he says this, these are written. These miracles Jesus did. Listen to this young person. These are written for a purpose. And that is this, the purpose. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of God. And that believing you might have life through His name. We live in interesting times, don't we? I mean, they're, they're challenging times, but there's so, so much being believed and propagated that is so far from the truth. About Jesus, about salvation. But it doesn't really matter what you believe. It does matter. And that's why he said, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's not one of many great teachers. He is the only Son of God. He's the only salvation. He's the only way of redemption. He's the only way you'll ever go to heaven. Is by knowing Him, trusting Him, having Him in your life. So this was the question. Who do you say that I am? Who, if I were to walk to you right now, young person, put a microphone in front of you and say, tell us who Jesus is, what would you say? I think I'll do that. What would you say? You may clam up. You may say, I don't know. You may, I, he's Jesus. He's the reason we have a holiday. I'll tell you, he's much more than all that. Right? He's the Christ. He's the only way of salvation. Let me ask you, is he your personal Savior today? One of the things I love about this story is everybody got to say, what everybody else thought, and then Jesus said, but what do you say? He made it personal. Is He your personal Savior? Can you say without hesitation today, Jesus is my Savior. I trusted Him, maybe recently or maybe long ago, but I trusted Him for my salvation. He changed my life. Is He your Lord? Is He, your Lord? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you trusted? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I think there's a lot of, lot of things that are connected to this. The first one, and most importantly one, most important one is our salvation. Do you, do you know that you know Jesus Christ? And if not, you ought to come to Christ today. You ought, to, you ought to say, I want, I want to turn my life to Christ. I want, I want to receive Him. I want Him in my life. But connected to that, along with that, is the more we see how wonderful He is, the more we see who He is, the more we want to worship Him and love Him and serve Him. Can you imagine? 
I can't imagine. Can you imagine having a Jesus in your life that's not worth serving? I can't imagine that. The Jesus in the Bible is worth living for and loving and worshiping and serving and adoring and following and obeying the Jesus in the Bible is. Amen? Thou art the Christ. You're the one we've been looking for for thousands of years. You're the one generation after generation after generation told their kids about, who would one day tell their kids about, who would one day tell their kids about. This is what the prophet said, and one day he's coming. Thou art the Christ. Amen? So the question is, do you know him? Do you really know him? If not, say, don't you want to know him? Don't you want to have him in your life? Don't you want to be saved? And if you are saved, don't you want to love him and serve him and obey him? I know people have misunderstandings about this, and maybe part of it is our fault. They think, well, you know, if you go to church, they're going to want you to do this and want you to do that, and they want you to do this. You know what the main thing is? We ought to want to do what Jesus wants us to do. Amen? Because He's the one we serve. He's the one we love. He's the one we follow. Amen? He's worthy of it.